Good morning, everybody. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Alexander Hildebrand. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If you would, would you all please stand as we hear the reading of the word? Today we're going to be looking at Habakkuk, verses 1 through 4. It says this, The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. If you're new here, uh, we've been going through this series really since um, the beginning of the year called The Twelve. Uh, and what we've been doing is we've been going through the minor prophets. If, if you're unfamiliar with the minor prophets, they are kind of the last 12 books at the end of the Old Testament. Um, and it's really easy to treat them as kind of individual works. I mean, if you just open up your Bible, you're going to see, you know, they're all different sections. They all have different names. They're all separated. But the truth is that these works weren't intended to be viewed as, as wholly separate. These works were compiled together, and they were known simply as one book, the Book of the Twelve. And so as we've been going through this study, we're eight weeks in now. Habakkuk's the eighth minor prophet we've done, I believe. And it's, it's really easy, I think, at this point to kind of get a glaze over our eyes and for it to be really easy to just kind of see them all, like, blend into one another, to kind of not really see the point or the meaning behind each and every single one. And so my hope for us this morning is that we can come to Habakkuk kind of with a, a fresh look and a fresh perspective, that we can kind of see it for what it is, but also recognize that it's not alone, that it's part of a context. The way I like to, to think of it or describe it is um, a t take like an album, for instance, if you will. You know, you could put on any record and you could just pick out any individual song and listen to it, and you'll get a complete song from beginning to end. You will get one whole complete experience. But that song really shines when it's put in the context of a, of a whole album, and you can hear it with the songs before and the songs after. It develops, I think, an even deeper meaning. You get a greater appreciation for it. You know, you listen to some songs, and some songs are meant to be like openers, to start an album. Some songs are meant to be closers, to really crescendo at the end. Some songs have a change of key or a change of tempo to create a difference there. Each song is its own whole, complete work. But on an album, it's in with a specific context, and all the songs are working with each other to convey one cohesive theme and one cohesive emotion or message, and it's the same with the Book of the Twelve. So the question for us this morning as we come to Habakkuk is, is what kind of song is Habakkuk on this record? We've already heard 
like seven tracks so far. And we've heard a lot of repetition in terms of themes of people rejecting God, abandoning God, God bringing judgment, God bringing redemption. We've heard these themes on play over and over and over and over again. So what is Habakkuk going to do in this context that's going to bring something new while also going to continue to develop those themes? I think that's the question that we need to ask as we come to this work today. And Habakkuk is pretty different, actually. It's easy to kind of gloss over it, to see it as just, I don't know, one of the other prophets. But Habakkuk has a very unique structure. It's very similar to Jonah in that Habakkuk and Jonah don't operate as normal prophets. You know, remember what a prophet is. A prophet isn't a fortune teller. They're not a future seer. A prophet is someone who's been given a message and they're to take that message to a particular people group. All right, so take Jonah, for example. Jonah's given a message to deliver to Nineveh. All right, and Jonah's unique because his whole narrative is about how he actually is a terrible prophet and he doesn't want to take that message. When you open up Habakkuk, Habakkuk is fascinating because Habakkuk doesn't receive any kind of message. He doesn't, he's not given a message to give to Israel. Instead, if you read through all of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. And what he's doing is he's recording this dialogue and then sharing that with the people of Israel. But he, but he isn't given this command to give a particular message. Instead, Habakkuk is a very intimate conversation between a man and God. It's deeply intimate. To the point where when we open it and we read the first several verses, what do you see? You see Habakkuk crying out to God, questioning God. Why do you ignore me? What's going on? That's the kind of conversation we're getting into as we open up with Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is structured in a very particular way. It's actually structured into six sections. It's three sets of two. And this will be really easy to remember. You'll remember it for the rest of your life, and you'll love Habakkuk for it, because of how simple it is. Habakkuk is two cries, like the cry we just read. It's two responses, and it's two songs. So it's two cries, two responses, and two songs. And the structure is going to go cry, response, cry, response, song, song. Okay, and so what I want to do this morning is it's my hope that we can just kind of walk through Habakkuk that we can see the, the message that's going on here and really, I don't know, kind of have an outsider's perspective on this very intimate conversation with God and see how this conversation with God between God and Habakkuk is actually a very relatable conversation that I'm sure many, if not all of us, in here have had with God. So if you would, would you please pray with me and then um, we'll jump in. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for um, just how diverse your word is, from narrative to the prophets to poetry to songs. Lord, your, your word is amazing, and it is incredible, and we thank you that you've given it to us. Lord, we thank you that you were a present God, that you are not distant. You don't hide yourself away but that you have made yourself known to us. 
So, Lord, it's our prayer that as we come to your word this morning, that you would open our eyes, that we would see you, that you would open our ears, that we would hear you, Lord, that we would truly know you and understand you, and that we would follow you to the end of our lives. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So this first cry from Habakkuk is Habakkuk cries out, Lord, how long will you ignore me? It was the passage we just read. How long, God, must I call for help? Yet you don't listen. I say there's violence everywhere, and you do nothing about it. Habakkuk is is looking at the people of God. He's looking at Israel, and he sees how they have completely rejected Yahweh. They have completely abandoned God. They have completely abandoned the law. They have become a corrupt, evil people. And the powerful are, are highly oppressive. They're drawing the people of Israel to worship false gods. You could go through kind of every moral category that the scriptures have set up so far at this point in the Bible. And Israel is just pretty much evil all across the board. Habakkuk is, is this unique individual who's still trying to follow after God. He still believes in Yahweh. He still trusts Yahweh. But when he looks at the people of God, he sees violence. And he sees oppression. He sees injustice. He sees the world is very broken and chaotic and not the way that things should be. And Habakkuk cries out to God. This this probably isn't the first time that Habakkuk has cried out to God. Habakkuk has probably been crying out to God over and over and over and over and over again. Because that's why he comes to the point where he says, God, how long do I have to keep doing this? How long are you going to keep ignoring me? How long are you going to keep ignoring your people? How long, Lord, will you allow injustice to prevail? How long will you allow violence to thrive? Why do you do nothing? When we open up Habakkuk and we hear that it's this conversation that Habakkuk is having with God, this isn't some far-off, distant prophet from 2,500 years ago, all the way across the world. When we hear this conversation, this immediately becomes a relatable conversation that we have had with God. Because I don't think I have to convince you that we live in a broken and chaotic world. I don't think I have to convince you that we live in a world with tragedy, with depression, anxiety, violence, injustice. I think if you go out and you poll any casual person on the street and ask them, do you think the world's getting better or getting worse? I think the typical person is going to tell you they think the world's getting worse. Right? And that's just kind of the big picture, like the world out there. The truth is that we have all of our own unique lives with unique circumstances and our own unique struggles in times where we have personally f- met with tragedy. Right? And there are times where we come to God and we're like, God, what is going on? I thought you were against this. God, I thought you hated evil. I thought you hated injustice. I thought you hated tragedy. I thought you were a God who came to save what are you doing? Do you not see me? How long will you continue to ignore me? How long will you continue to do nothing? This isn't some far-off, distant work from thousands of years ago. This is something very close 
and near to our hearts. It's incredibly relatable. Because I'm fairly confident that if you have been a follower of Christ for even, I don't know, a short amount of time, you have probably felt this exact way. You've probably asked this exact question. God, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing anything? And so then we come to God's response. It's okay. How is God going to respond to Habakkuk's cry? And this is what God says. He says, look around at the nations. Look and be amazed. For I am doing something in your own day. And it's something that you wouldn't even believe if someone told you about it. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Your translation might say the Babylonians. A cruel and violent people. They will march across the world. And they will conquer the land. Right? And then if you continue to go on pretty much through, I don't know, the next six, seven verses, it's God describing how awful, how powerful, how evil the Babylonians are. But essentially, this is God's response. God's response to Habakkuk is, I do see you. I do see the people of Israel. I see how they have become filled with violence. They've become filled with injustice. I do see how they've abandoned me. And I am going to bring a judgment on that violence, on that oppression, on that rejection. I'm not going to to allow injustice to go on forever, but I will do something about it. And here's what I'm going to do. Look over there. You see the Babylonian Empire? They're going to come up. And they're just going to conquer you, right? They're mighty, powerful, evil, cruel people. But they are going to be my tool for judgment to prevent your injustice. Now, if you're Habakkuk, that response is not a comforting response, It's not even a response that makes sense, right? Because Habakkuk's issue is that God is allowing injustice to prevail. And God's solution to the injustice is to bring a people who are even more unjust. And so Habakkuk cries out again. In verse 12, he says, O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you don't plan to wipe us out. You have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure. You cannot stand the sight of evil. So will you just wink at their treachery? Will you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Habakkuk's response is like, yeah, God, Israel's evil. Israel's rejected you and there needs to be justice. But how does this solve anything? The Babylonians are worse. The Babylonians are far more evil than the people of Israel. Their violence is extreme. Their oppression is is extreme. How, How does this actually solve anything? This is only going to make things worse. Are we just going to be trampled and killed and destroyed and replaced with a people who are far more evil? And it's this kind of response 
This is why God, back in verse 5 and 6, said, you're not even going to believe it if someone told you. It's confusing. It's a wonder. You will be amazed. You will be perplexed as to why I'm doing this. See, God knows Habakkuk is not going to understand what God is doing or why he's doing it. And Habakkuk is in agreement. Habakkuk is confused and does not understand what God is doing or why he's doing it. Habakkuk doesn't see God's solution as actually doing anything. And so we get to God's second response. And God's second response isn't really about Babylon, but it's more so about his people. And God says this, the righteous shall live by faith. You must wait. You must see. I am at work. I will bring justice. I will bring justice all across the board. But you must wait. And you must see. God says this in verse 3. He says, if my work seems slow in coming, wait patiently. It will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They'll eat themselves alive. Look at the greedy. They are arrogant and never at rest. But the righteous shall live by faith. And God's response to Habakkuk, the second response, is, is really a call for Habakkuk to trust God, to wait patiently, and to have faith in the midst of a time when Habakkuk does not understand what's going on. Habakkuk does not understand how God is actually at work to solve anything. Habakkuk does not understand how God's solution is actually going to solve anything. And so Habakkuk is sitting very confused, very lost, very frustrated, and trying to reconcile all of these things together. Right? And that is the place that many of us ourselves have come to in our own lives. Every single one of us, if you are a Christ follower, if you've been going on this journey for any amount of time, you know that there have been times where you felt confused and lost and frustrated, and you're frustrated at God because you don't understand if he's doing anything, and if he is doing something, you don't really think that it's actually doing anything good. There's a, there's a pastor and rapper uh, named Trip Lee, and one of his songs on an album way back, I think, like from 2014, uh, it's called, I hey, don't laugh at me. <laughs> don't laugh at me because I said that was a long time ago. <laughs> I was still in school then. <laughs> college, I was in college then, yeah. Pastor uh, and rapper Trip Lee on one of his songs. The song's called IDK. Um, and it's, it's entirely based on Habakkuk. The song actually opens up with that opening line. It just says, how long, O oh Lord, how long will you continue to ignore me? And uh, the entire song is a dialogue with God 
entirely revolving around like, God, why are you allowing injustice to go on? Why are you allowing tragedy to go on? Why are you continuing to allow all this evil to go on? And there's one part in the song where he says, if I was God, there wouldn't be any pain. If I was God, this would be taken care of, and this would be dealt with, and this would be done. Right? And how many of us have said that to God? Right? God, like, what are you doing? I don't understand. I don't understand. You say you're working for good. You say you hate evil and you love mercy. You say that you are a just God. And yet I see a broken, tragic world where there is real pain. And that is really the place that Habakkuk sits at. And it ends with these two songs that are given to Habakkuk that he's singing. But it's these two songs that kind of deal with that loss and that sense of confusion trying to reconcile all of this together. The first song is in chapter two, um, and it's, it's the song of the five woes. Uh, one commentator called it a taunt song, which I, I really like. I love, I love taunting in the Bible. Like I love when the prophets are just, I don't know, really sassy, and, and they just like, I don't know, they're just messing with people. But um, chapter two, you kind of get this, this repeated lines. Your translation will probably say, woe to so-and-so. Or, or if it's more of a, a paraphrase, it'll say like, what sorrow awaits? All right, so the NLT will say, what sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? And sorrow awaits those who bow down and worship idols. What sorrow awaits those who steal, right? It's the song given to Habakkuk from God that is all about how God will deal with injustice, every single injustice. God is going to deal with the injustice from Israel. God is going to deal with the injustice from the Babylonians. Sorrow awaits those who do evil. Right? It's this, this taunt song telling these evildoers, your days are numbered, essentially. Right? And it's a song that, for Habakkuk, is a reassurance. Because it reassures Habakkuk that God is going to bring about justice once and for all. That, Habakkuk, or that God is going to bring justice, not just to one people group, but to every single person. That God is a fair judge, that God does not wink at evil. He does not just let things go, but God will bring justice, that God will bring final justice. And so Habakkuk is in this period of waiting, right? In God's second response, God just told him, if it looks like it's far off, wait and see the righteous shall live by faith. So Habakkuk is called to wait. He's, he's called to wait in this broken time, where God is at work, but God has not brought about a final justice yet. But he's to be reminded of a day when God will bring a final justice, a complete justice, justice against every sin, 
every evil, one that will make all things right. That's the first song. That God will make all things right. And then his second song is a very passionate song, like I was talking about earlier, like on an album. This is very much the closer. If you look at chapter 3, verse 1, a lot of translations will have this really weird Hebrew word uh, in the beginning. It says, this is a prayer of Habakkuk according to Shigianoth or something like that. Uh, I have an NLT up here, which I meant to bring something else. But is that right? Is it Shigianoth? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that word, he, uh, that Hebrew word Shigianoth, it's a weird one. It's one of the weird ones that like scholars aren't entirely sure what it means. They like to argue about, which is fun. So it's fun for me when I want to look up a word and I just see people arguing about it. It's like, great, that's really helpful. But um, the, the general consensus is that that word Shigianoth means to like be sung wildly and with passion. That it is deeply emotional, that it's heart-wrenching. Like, this is the closing song of the album. This is where there is nothing left at the end, where the one singing has, has, has given every single ounce of energy to the song, where they can barely even breathe afterwards because it is just that emotional, it's that wild of a song. And most of the song is about God showing up in incredible power. Earlier, God talked about how powerful the Babylonians were. But in chapter 3, God is depicted as this cosmic power, as a power over the entire cosmos, that this is the creator of the universe and that nothing can stand before him. Not a single thing. This is the God who carved out mountains, who crafted the oceans, who put the stars in their place And so Habakkuk is singing about this powerful God who's coming before creation. The very creator of the universe is coming into creation and no one can stand before him. And this God is going to bring salvation. This God is going to bring justice. This God will make all things right in the end. And so Habakkuk ends with this picture of a mighty and powerful God who's showing up to bring justice. And he knows it's coming. And he's been reassured that it's coming. But it's not here yet. Because his call is to live by faith. To wait and to see and to trust. And so ultimately, Habakkuk comes to the end of his song He's given all of his energy in describing the mighty power of God. And he ends with this. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, even though there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, even though the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, even though the cattle barns are empty, I will find joy in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread on my high places. Habakkuk's final conclusion after wrestling with God, being lost and confused and frustrated and mad at God, is this place of peace 
even though things are not right, even though things are not good, even when there's no food, even when the world is falling down, Habakkuk makes this promise that he will find joy in the Lord, that he will have peace in the Lord, that he will trust and wait and live by faith because he knows that God is at work, even if he can't understand it, and he knows that God is good and will bring justice, complete justice, and he knows that God has power, is a creator, and he cares for his creation. And so Habakkuk ends in this, this peace, this promise, this proclamation that he will have joy in the Lord even if the world around him is, is completely falling apart. Right? And this is the point where I come to the scriptures and I like to be a little imaginative. And I, I don't foresee Habakkuk really having a smile on his face when he says that he will have joy in the Lord. But more so it's this promise that he's going to choose to trust the God of the universe, to trust that God will make all things right, that he will trust in God's justice and he will trust in God's salvation. And that his joy is more so this, this peace that is going to bring about life even in the midst of chaos and tragedy. It's that kind of joy, not just this emotional high, this hit of, of happiness, right, of dopamine, but a, a sure-footed steadiness, a sure-footed peacefulness in his God who loves him and cares for him, who cares for him enough to even have this dialogue in the first place. Right? It's that kind of joy. I think Paul would go on in the New Testament to describe it as a peace that goes beyond all understanding. I think that's very fitting for Habakkuk when his entire place is that he doesn't understand why God's doing what he's doing. And so that's the case for us. And when we don't understand why God is doing what, what he's doing, when we're frustrated and we're upset and we, we don't understand, we're confused or at a loss, we come to this promise that God has the entire universe in his hands and he's in control. He's a sovereign God. And he is at work. And we have to wait on that. And we have to trust that, that. That the righteous shall live by faith. It's like the center verse of the whole book. That's really where Habakkuk has to come to at the end. Is that he will live by faith. That he will put his trust and his hope in this God who is coming. That we walk that same path. That we are awaiting people. Right? Every time we gather together for worship, we, we take the sacrament of communion. Right? We're reminded of the presence of Christ, and Christ's body and blood. We're reminded that we are a people who are waiting. Because when Jesus gave his followers that meal, he said that he will not take of it again. He will not take the cup. Right? When? Until he's with us again. So every time we take the bread and we take the cup, we come as awaiting people who are waiting to be reunited with our Savior. 
That's why we gather each week. We gather together to wait. And so it's, it's that faithful patience should really characterize our, our whole lives. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. They are terrible at waiting. They're awful at it. I'm like using all my illustrations now because they're not really at the point where they can like hear me talk about them and really understand it. So I'm going to ride this, this age out for a bit. They are terrible at waiting for something. Every morning, I wake up. Well, they wake me up. And I'm like, Dad, Dad, can we watch our morning show? Dad, give us a baby orange. Dad, can I have an apple? And it's like, I have to get ready. Like, I have to do it. 20 things. I can only do one thing at a time. You have to wait. You have to wait. You have to wait. And in their little brains, they just don't understand. They just can't even comprehend they think that if I'm not doing something right that second, I'm not doing anything at all, right? And my wife and I are, are constantly trying to tell them, like, just because you don't see us doing it right this second does not mean we're not going to do it. We are going to do it. If we tell you we're going to do something, we're going to do it. If I tell you that I will get you a granola bar, I will get you a granola bar, right? <laughs> You just have to wait, right? And we laugh and we joke about that, but the truth is, is like, we're just little children before the God of the universe, and God's given us a promise. I will make all things right. I will bring justice. Even if you can't see it, you have got to trust me that I will do it. I've made you that promise. You've got to trust. You've got to wait. We've received the promise that Christ will return and that when Christ returns, the enemy will be once and for all defeated. That when Christ returns, there will be no more pain, no more sickness, no more disease, no more sin, no more death. That is a promise given to us and so we will gather as a people who wait and will trust. And we will gather together as a people who pray and hear. And we will gather together as a people who will sing as we wait. Because we are going to trust in the goodness of God and in the love of our Savior that we will wait for him. So I want to invite the praise team to come up. And you can stand and we're going to sing a song to reassure us of God's goodness and our trust and hope in him.